following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Well, today's a little bit different um, in regards to the fact that normally uh, when I step up here and we start to preach, I'll say, open your Bibles too. And uh, today there's like 10 passages of scripture. So what I did was uh, normally we just have a note section uh, in that slip of paper. And what I did is I just gave you the whole sermon at the start. Okay. So if you're looking over and you're like, nope, don't want this and you want to go home. Hey, man, that's between you and Jesus. Um, but if you want me to uh, kind of explain a few things, uh, which I think would be more beneficial than you leaving and going home, um, that would be great, okay? So we're going to be all over. If you want to look those up in your Bibles, by all means, go ahead. Father's Day can be a little bit of a sore subject to some people, amen? It's kind of like Mother's Day. Uh, sometimes uh, Mother's Day can be a little bit of a sore subject because uh, miscarriages and um, just problems with mom and dad. I know none of you have problems with your family, so you can just kind of humor me a little bit as I talk about some problems that I have with my family. Are you okay with that today? So your lives are perfect, and I'm kind of a little bit of a mess, and uh, we're going to walk through kind of a little bit of my life. You're going to learn a little bit about Pastor Jordan today, maybe more than you wanted to learn, um, and hopefully you're okay with that because I believe that God has put me in so many situations to help somebody else out, and I think the same is true for you too as well. God never places us in a certain spot, so we will just forget. God places us in situations and circumstances so that we will learn and so that we will grow. So um, when I was about five years old, uh, my mom, my biological mother, uh, decided um, that she was going to divorce my biological father. So I actually have two dads. I have a biological father and then I have a stepfather. Uh, this uh, good looking guy right there, that is my stepdad. His name is Ken. He lives uh, in Illinois and uh, he always tells people every time that he comes in contact with them, do you want to know why Jordan's so good looking? And they say, no, why? And they say, because he's not my real son. <laughs> so I called him today uh, and I said, hey, dad, I'm going to give you the best Father's Day present ever. And he's like, what's that? And I said, I'm going to talk about you for about 40 minutes. Is that okay? And he said, Jordan, if you really want to grow your church in reverse, <laughs> then go right ahead. <laughs> So if next week there's like 10 people here, we'll know why, all right? And so we can blame him. Um, but my parents got a divorce. Uh, it was for biblical reasons. Um, and then long story short, the guy that you see on the screen, um, he was the pastor of a church, a very conservative church. His wife died a year uh, before he um, kind of came in contact with my mom of lupus. And so you have a pastor of a very conservative church marrying a divorced woman. And uh, the church wasn't really okay with that. He had two options. He could split the church um, or he could uh, go somewhere else. And so he decided to go somewhere else. And uh, a little church in Monmouth, Illinois named Countryside Bible Church full of 25 people picked him up. And uh, so we moved um, in a huge U-Haul with uh, my mom, this guy, my dad, and my sister, myself, and a little pug dog named Razzie. Um, and we uh, went over to Monmouth, Illinois, 12 hours away. Uh, I do not have a lot of fond memories of my biological father. I just don't. He, uh, 
he just uh, had a period in his life that was just tough. I think it was hard for him to be a dad. And I think it was a little bit difficult for him to kind of grasp the fact that he had a son. And uh, so we had a period of about eight years of silence between us um, until the day that he died. And uh, we made up on his deathbed. So I'm going to talk a little bit about him today um, in kind of some um, poor examples. I don't want to cast him too much in a negative light. But this guy right here on the screen is the closest thing that I've ever met to Jesus Christ. Um, I love my dad. I just think he's really, really cool. So we're going to try to do this without any tears. Yeah, awesome. All right. So, uh, so anyway, um, uh, so yeah, so we move over to, to Illinois, and uh, Dad has modeled very well what it looks like to be a good um, earthly father because he has a good heavenly father. So I got eight traits for you today on what it looks like to be a good father. So dads, we're going to poke a little bit of fun at you a little bit today. I want you to pay close attention to these things, but if the bullseye is fathers, understand that the next ring out is all of us. So this applies to everybody. So please do not check out, all right? There are eight traits that we all can kind of look at and we can examine. This is a little bit of a mid-year quiz. I want to see how you guys are doing, all right? And uh, you can get on the struggle bus with me too as well because some of these things we do well, some of these things not so much, amen? All right, let's pray together and then we'll get rolling. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, it's your truth, it's not mine. These uh, traits are things that we see in your word that we need as dads, but we also need as believers, and we also uh, need to understand and acknowledge that you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and Jesus is the only way. And we fall flat on our face if we try to do this by ourselves. Um, and I thank you and I praise you that you never leave us or forsake us. Fatherhood is tough. Motherhood is tough. Parenting is tough. Let's just be honest, God, sometimes being a human being is difficult. And so whether we find ourselves as dads or moms or whether we find ourselves as just children, single or married, we all have moms and dads. We all come from different places. Some of us have a bad taste in our mouth. Some of us are doing okay and some of us have a really good example to follow. But regardless of whether the earthly parents that were here on earth that we were under served a good example or a bad example, we have a heavenly example that is above all things. And so may we look to you and may we look through the lens of scripture on how you want us to live in conformity to Jesus Christ, our Savior. Help us to be men and women who love you so much that we speak your truth to those people we come in contact with just as much as we speak your truth to ourselves. And may we encourage people today, God, make it clear this morning on the things that we're doing well and then the things that we need to improve on. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's walk through this a little bit. Eight biblical traits every believer, and I would say in fathers, should have. All right, let's start at number one. Number one, do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord? In Deuteronomy chapter 6, that is that Shema, okay? Uh, the Shema is the greatest commandment. It says that you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and with all of your strength. It was the centerpiece of the Jewish person's life. All Israel was commanded to love God above all other things. They were to love God more than they loved anything else. Now, think about that, you who are parents. You're to love God more than you love your kids. 
You're to love God more than you love your spouse. You're to love God. But what does it look like to love God? See, in the Old Testament, they were pointing to a Messiah that would come. And they were supposed to instruct their children that this Messiah would come. But they were also supposed to teach their children the laws of God. 265 plus don't do this. 250 plus do this. So you look at it sometimes and you think, man, parenting is hard. If you're an Old Testament Jew, parenting is dramatically difficult, okay? Because you have to memorize these things and you have to run that checklist with your kids all the time. Some of you are like, man, we got like 300 do's and 300 do nots. You should come into my family. I don't want to be a part of your family if that's the way it is, all right? But God says that you have to live by my laws and teach them and press them to your children. Now, some of you are thinking to yourself, I don't have any kids. Okay, but you got nieces and nephews and all those other things. So we could go a step beyond that. And what we see in the text is, if you did that right, the promise was that you would live a long life. And in the Old Testament, you get to live a long life if you do this well. And in the New Testament, by the grace of God, because Jesus Christ came, died, rose again. If you truly love God, you have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you love Jesus Christ, guess what the Bible says? You don't get just a long life on earth. You get an eternal life in heaven. It is the hope that we have as believers. So to answer the question, do I love God? The real question for us who are living post-Jesus is... Do I love God so much that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, his son? And if I'm a father, the real question is, is the culmination of God's law, Jesus, impressed upon my children? Now, here's what I know about my biological father. You ready for this? I know he loved cars. I know he loved golf. I know he liked to go fast. But I cannot recall a time from my biological father where I ever saw him even remotely participate in anything religious. He didn't have to vocalize what he loved. He demonstrated it by what he participated in. I remember my stepdad, on the other hand, loved two things. He loved the Chicago Cubs and writing sermons because I saw him do it all the time. And he had bifocals at the time, so he would sit at the breakfast bar in our house and he would put his glasses on and so he could see the TV screen and then he would take them off and go back to his sermon and then he would do this and he would do that. My mom would come in, she'd say, Ken, go to the eye doctor and get bifocals. He's like, I'm doing fine. <laughs> see, I watched my dad love God so much because he poured into constantly his relationship with Jesus Christ. We would pray together as a family before we left in the morning. We would have devotions at night as, as kids, whether we wanted to or not. How are you doing with that, moms and dads? I don't know about you, but sometimes when we do devotions at night, it's kind of like a war zone in my house, right? My neighbors are here today, and I think sometimes they probably think we're killing each other. But you know what? More is caught than taught. We'll get to that a little bit later. <clears throat> I know that my dad loved God because of his relationship that he had with Jesus. You ask my dad, you look at him and you say, Ken, what's the three things that you love? And he'll say, I love God first, fishing second, and my wife third. And as I started to get older, I was like, Dad, where am I at on that list? <laughs> anyway, my dad loved the Lord because he had a relationship with Jesus Christ. If we, we cannot go any further unless we get that established. Whether you're a dad, not a dad, doesn't matter. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? You cannot love God without having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Number two, 
the second commandment is like it. That you should love your neighbor as yourself. So the first commandment and the second commandment go together. You love God because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You show that you love God by loving your neighbor as yourself. We've defined this a long time ago. Who is your neighbor? And you can write this down. Your neighbor is anybody who has a need in which you are able to meet. There are sermons that have been preached over and over again about people who articulate what they think Jesus is talking about when he says your neighbor. Your neighbor is anyone who has a need in which you are able to meet. That is your neighbor. So the greatest commandment that you would love God ties into the second commandment that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And that means that we love people because Jesus showed us that he had compassion on people. He was more concerned about being passionate about people regardless of where they were at. He spoke positively to them instead of condemning them. A woman is caught in adultery and she expects Jesus to condemn her. And he looks at her and he says, I don't condemn you. Because Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He came into the world to save the world. And maybe you're sitting in church today and you think, man, God hates me. You know what? God doesn't hate you. He hates the sin that resides in your life. And he wants to forgive that sin. But you have to submit yourself to Jesus Christ in order to have that happen. And so God tells us that if you love me, you'll also love people. Because you're defined through the eyes of God how much you love Jesus by how much you love people. I'm not doing a good job at that. I look at people sometimes and see the negative. We have to look at people and see where they could be, not where they are. I racked my brain to try to think of one time I saw my biological father love somebody besides our immediate family. And I don't mean to dig on him today. That's not my point. But I just couldn't think of anything. I couldn't think of one time that I saw him be compassionate to people that were not closely related to him. Now, my stepdad, on the other hand, he's a little bit different. See, my dad, he went from Erie, Pennsylvania to Monmouth, Illinois on $11,000 in 1988. And he didn't have a whole lot of cash in his pocket to take care of these two little kids. My mom was working at the lunch room in the junior high school. And so he had to take some other jobs. And so some of the things he did was he like substitute taught. I called my mom and I was like, dad, I was like, mom, let's talk about dad. And she's like, okay. I said, what were some of the things that dad did uh, to make money? She's like, well, he was also a youth pastor at another church. How does that work? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine that? Like, hey guys, you should go to church. Where? <laughs> He substitutes on, uh, and uh, one of the other things he did was he delivered papers. Never forget this. He would get up in the morning, he would fold papers, put them in there, watch the updates from the Cubs in the news, tell us that nothing good is happening in the world, we should pray about it. And then he would take his little bag, he would put it over his shoulder, and he would walk down the road, and he would deliver papers. I'll never forget this. One time, this guy was putting sod in his yard, and uh, dad walked by him, and he says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm laying sod. He was an older gentleman, and dad took pity on him or compassion on him, whichever one it may have been. And he sat down his back. He helped him for two hours. He helped this guy. Now, here's my question. Dad, didn't you have a job to do? Like, that's a lesson in procrastination, if you ask me, but whatever. Um, so I said, so he put it down for two hours. The guy said, I want to thank you. He said, okay, what do you, want, what do you have in mind? He said, well, I'd like to have you and your wife over for dinner 
And, uh, and my mom found out that this was a gentleman who was in town who was extremely wealthy. And so my mom sat my sister and I down. She said, listen, we're going to the Smith's house. They're extremely wealthy. I don't want you to touch anything. I don't want you to do anything. I want you to sit there, and I want you to pretend like you love Jesus so that they think well of us. <laughs> and so we nodded. We said, okay. So we go to this lady's house, and we're sitting there, and we're at the dinner table. We didn't touch anything. We were minding our own business. And all of a sudden, my mom reached for one of the rolls, and she knocked a glass of water over. And all the water spilled all over this nice lady's uh, brand new, like, whatever dowly thing that she had that older people have in their house. And, um, and my sister Brenda and I looked at each other, and you know what we said? Oh, somebody's in trouble! <laughs> I watched my dad deliver papers. I watched him... I do tons of things that showed that he loved people. I've seen my dad put gas in people's uh, gas tanks at gas stations. I mean, it's the most embarrassing thing in the world, right? He walks over, he's like, hey, look, I'd love to pay for gas for you. Dad, get in, the, get in the truck. Get in the truck. I've seen him at the grocery store buy people groceries that he doesn't even know. I mean, and he used to use the checkbook, so he would write out, like, in the checkbook, and he's like, hold on, hold on, see, let me write this down for you. And then that lady had to drag it through the machine, and that takes forever. And I'm like, Dad, I got to go to wrestling practice. How am I going to tell my coach that I'm late for wrestling practice? Just tell me you're buying groceries for somebody, Jordan. Relax. See, I watched it model that he loved other people. We can say we love Jesus, but it comes down to how well we love people when they're an inconvenience in our life or not. Now, this includes our enemies. Jesus taught that in Matthew chapter 5. Some of the times I saw love modeled well was by watching my dad treat other people. Maybe you saw a poor example of it, but that doesn't mean that you should live out that poor example. Why do we love people? Failure to love people proves to God that we don't really love him. And that's a hard reality for us to grasp. Number three, how well... I'm going to elaborate on this a little bit. Do we model what love looks like? Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go or she should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from that teaching. Now that word training in Proverbs chapter 22 comes down to modeling. My dad would say this, excuse me, all the time. More is caught than taught. I remember when I got married. He looked at me. He said, Jordan, I got marriage advice for you. I'm only going to give you one. Anything else uh, that you want to know, you have to ask for it. He says, more is caught than taught. Remember when my first daughter came into the world? Jordan, here's what you need to know. More is caught than taught. Remember my second daughter came into the world? He says, Jordan, remember more is caught than taught. I had it drilled in my head when I was a kid. More is caught than taught. More is caught than taught. More is caught than taught. As a father and people of God, we are always modeling for children and other people what it means to live in which the way they should go. Think about that for a second. You model for people in your life the way they should go by what you do. You model for people whether you validate something or don't validate something. You go to a restaurant, you get something to drink, you validate for somebody else if that's okay or if that's not okay. When you talk to your children, you validate if that's okay to talk like that or it's not okay to talk like that. What we see is that we have to model well what it looks like. Here's what I know about my dad. Sounds like I'm giving his obituary today. Um, that's okay. He'd be all right with that. Um, modeling well looks like this. My dad loved my mom. Okay. And we knew he loved my mom. I think it was just because a little bit of the fact that like she took him like, and he was ecstatic over it. And I think he knew that like the line was like really, you know, just narrowing down. Anyway, um, he buys my mom a rose every Tuesday. 
Every Tuesday. He's done it for like 30-something years. Every Tuesday, you walk in our house, there's a rose that's sitting there, sometimes two. I said, Dad, what about, what's the reason for the two? Sometimes, Jordan, there's grace. Oh, okay. I don't know what that means, but cool, right? Uh, my mom, when she comes home ready for this, he stands up no matter what he's doing, and he greets her at the door. Yeah, right? Every single time she comes home, he'd be watching the Cubs game. They could have won the World Series, and if she came home, he'd stand up and he'd go see her. It doesn't matter what he's doing. It doesn't matter what's going on. He stands up and he greets her at the door. Modeling is so important. I remember that my dad would model what it looked like for him to love us. I remember when I was a little kid, I was the macho man Randy Savage. And for some of you who don't know who he is, get over it. <laughs> and we were in our living room and we had a couch. And the couch on the corner of the couch was a third turnbuckle. Amen? Amen. <laughs> And we would stand up there, and Dad would say, and I don't even know if Dad knew what, what, what happened in wrestling. Like, and this was before wrestling got really bad, you know. Like, I don't condone wrestling right now anymore, but I'm talking about the real wrestling. We always thought it was real, and Dad said it wasn't real, but we, whatever. And so I'm on the third turnbuckle, and uh, Dad's laying on the couch, and I'll never forget this. And I was like, okay, Dad, you ready? And he's like, he's like, yeah. And somebody said something to him, and he turned, and he couldn't see anything. And so I'm like, wow, you know, off the third turnbuckle. <laughs> Boom! I hit him. He's like, <gasps> I thought I killed him. <laughs> because he's older. Him and my mom are 12 years apart, so he's like an old man, right? So he's like, so I'm like, I killed the old guy. <laughs> and we just got him. He's new. <laughs> so he runs out of the room and he's like, <gasps> and my mom's like, what's wrong? And I was like, I killed dad. And he comes back in, he's like, he's like, hey, buddy, just give me one minute, and then we can do it again. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, man. My dad coached all my sports teams. He was horrible at every sport that I, that I played. I was, too, to be fair. But he was always there. We have Little League uh, pictures of my dad standing next to me. And, um, man, those are good stuff. I, would, I should have put those up there. <clears throat> but uh, dad would always listen to us, and he was great at not giving answers he just listened dad loves to fish we would go to canada all the time we'd sit on a boat i tell him all my problems i'd be like dad this is what's going on in my life and he's like what are you gonna do about that i'm like i don't know he's like i don't know either <laughs> here's what here's what i know what my dad said all the time he said jordan what does the bible say over and over again that's all we heard in my house we can say we love the lord but let me ask you a question how are you doing with modeling that not just to your kids dad but to other people if we really are going to take inventory on how we're living by loving jesus what does it look like to model those actions well hmm. failure to model means we have head knowledge but we really don't understand because there's no application and let me just tell you something is this your first week at church or you have a bad taste in your mouth about church Sometimes Christians, believers, don't model well what it looks like to love Jesus. Amen? So we have to work on this. Number four, are we patient? Not just patient in some things, patient in all things. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, and now we're going to kind of point our finger a little bit at fathers. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. And I always read that passage of Scripture, and I think, but it's so fun. <laughs> By the way you treat them, rather bring them up in discipline and instruction from the Lord. Um, along with modeling <clears throat> what love looks like, being a father takes patience, right? Big time. Being a believer takes patience. 
in order to train children properly. So you don't provoke or frustrate your kids with unreasonable demands or lose patience, but we use discipline and instruction from God's word. This is where dad was really good at saying, but what does the Bible say? I called my mom the other day and I said, mom, what is the most patient thing that you've ever seen dad do? The most patient thing, think real hard. What is the most patient thing that you've ever seen dad do? She responded so fast, raise you. So that's humbling. Um, But dad would always say, what does the Bible say? That should be on the tip of every believer's mouth. What does the Bible say? In order to be patient in all things, what does the Bible say? We would have so many catastrophes that hit in our house. Dad was always adamant. But what does the Bible say? But what does the Bible say? But what does it say? There was never a compromising on what God's word said in his eyes. Patience doesn't apply to just raising children. It's all things. My dad spent 10 years, 10 years with a sick wife. 10 years. I didn't know him then. 10 years he sat next to a woman who had lupus and watched her die. And he loved her through the whole thing. They couldn't have kids. He always says that's a blessing in disguise. Anyway, they couldn't have kids. I imagine how difficult that was for them. Every Father's Day he would probably get up and preach a sermon and realize that They couldn't have any kids. He couldn't be a dad. But he was patient in those things. He was patient. We used to drive old vans all the time. Uh, You remember the the, uh, Astro vans? Who made Astro vans? You remember those? I think it was Chevy Astro van or something like that. Uh, These things were junk, man. But that's all we had. I think it was Dodge. We had Dodge like uh, something like that or, or whatever. But we didn't have any money. So we would go from 12 hours from Monmouth, Illinois over to Erie, Pennsylvania. And dad would drive. And the funniest part is they would break down all the time. And dad would be sitting on the side of the highway and be like, God is good. God is good. What's wrong with you? Buy us a better van, right? (laughs) One time, this guy, he came up uh, on the side of the highway. He was in a a, a mail truck, right? And he comes pulling up on the side of the highway, and he picks us up. We get into this mail truck. It had this huge, big screen in the front of it, or windshield in the front of it. Dad looks at the guy. He says, why would you pick us up? And the guy says, it's a federal offense if you steal anything from my semi. So what do I have to lose, right? <laughs> so it's male guy, my dad. I think it was my mom because I don't think she would let us sit next to truck drivers when I was a kid. No offense if you're a truck driver. And uh, <laughs> it's all my mom's, not me. Um, and it was my sister and I, and then we'd leave the van. And dad's like, hey, look at this guy. This is a chance for us to share the gospel and tell him about Jesus. I mean, he just saw things through the lens of so patient. God knows what he's doing. God is there. He's okay. Are you patient? Now, here's a question I have. Why should we be patient? Patience reveals our real faith in God's timing, God's omnipotence, and his love. To not be patient is to not trust that God has a plan for you. Patience is so important because it shows us God's Timing, omnipotence, and love. And all the times in which I am impatient as a person, I question God's timing, omnipotence, and love. Number five, are you a hard worker? Genesis chapter two, going back to the Old Testament. God took the man, his name was Adam. He puts him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And Adam was a hard worker. He follows God's instructions well. 
From the very beginning, God planned that man would have a job to do. The only difference between pre-fall and post-fall, what I mean is before sin entered the world and after the world, in regards to work was, it was laborsome. After the fall, it was not laborsome. In other words, it was enjoyable uh, before the fall. Kind of like how some of you ladies love to tend a garden. Guys, I know you like to do that too as well. Whatever you may do that you find enjoyment from in regards to work. Paul uh, essentially re-articulates this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, that men who are lazy or refuse to work shouldn't be allowed to eat. Now, he's not saying that people who can't work shouldn't eat, but those who won't work. Now, like I said, in 1988, my dad moved uh, from Erie, Pennsylvania to Monmouth, Illinois, $11,000 a year, wife and two kids. Worked multiple jobs, pastor to church, substitute taught at schools, delivered papers, was a youth pastor, et cetera, et cetera. He sold suits at the model. I'll never forget that. There's a little suit store over in Monmouth, Illinois. He worked there, and we would always hide in the little whatever those things are called. And he'd be like, Jordan, you got to come out right now. And I'm like, whatever. Um, but here's, here's the interesting thing. Because of dad's hard work, he put my mom through college. He put my mom through her master's degree. He put my sister and I through college. Both of us have graduate degrees, and that would have never happened without his effort. I asked my dad one time, I said, Dad, why'd you do that? You married mom, and you inherited two kids, and you have all this baggage. Why would you do that? He says, Jordan, it's the right thing to do. It is the right thing to do. When is the last time that you did something that you told somebody who asked you why they did it? It is the right thing to do. God, uh, Dad would look at it and he'd say, but, but the Bible says. And if the Bible says it, it's the right thing to do. Now, I didn't say, are you a busy worker? I said, are you a hard worker? Do you do hard work, honest work? Are you a good worker? Not how much you work, because sometimes busyness is not godliness. But here we see in this text that hard work should be done for the glory of God. It didn't matter if dad was peddling papers, if he was substitute teaching or pastoring a church. Everything was done through the lens of how do we get people who are far from God to come to a relationship with God and how do we encourage believers who need encouraged. Everything was done that way. Everything should be done that way. Hard work is a sign of the value you place on what God has entrusted to your care. And it's not just your work, it's your family, it's your kids, it's your wife, it's your spouse. Matt Chandler used to say, he pulled in the driveway from pastoring, and he would have a hard day, and he would sit there in his car for two seconds, and he would say, okay, job number two. And he would walk into his house and realize that there's another full-time job waiting for him on the other side of that door. Not because it's burdensome, but because he knew he had to change his mindset to understand that all things must be done for the glory of God. We were sitting in the 9 o'clock hour with the Dads and Don'ts thing or whatever, and um, so we're, we're hanging out there, and um, there's a question on that, and it says, what does your dad do the first thing when he gets home? And I said, Jonna, what's the first thing that dad does when he gets home? She goes, I don't know. Green goes, I do. He sits. <laughs> And I said, yeah, and talk to your mom, right? Give me that piece of paper, right? I'll write that down for you. Sometimes our kids will tell us what we're doing good and what we're not doing good. <clears throat> Hard work is the sign of the value you place on what God has entrusted to your care. Number six, are we self-controlled? Moving into the New Testament church in 1 Timothy, here's what happened. 
the church was growing and they had these congregations. And so because they had these congregations that were growing, they needed leaders of the church to come and to essentially help govern the church. And so they were like, where are we going to get these leaders from? And so what they did was they pulled leaders from houses of families who had good fathers, who were uh, essentially fathering or shepherding their families according to God's word. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, it says, A church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to one wife and exercise self-control. The word there for self-control is the word sober, speaking about not flying off the handle in regards to children or other people. I need help here. Anybody else? Okay, like this is, this is, a, big, this is a big deal for me, all right? I am one oftentimes to react instead of respond, amen? And sometimes that's just the way it works, okay? And what I realize here is you should not fly off the handle. We used to watch TGIF, anyone? All right, I'm speaking to my generation, and if you're not my generation, I'm sorry, but it's good, right? We had step-by-step, family matters, right? There was a couple other ones in there that always change. Listen to you guys. Like, yeah, you're all of a sudden like seven in a living room right now. Like, if only, right? Family Matters was on one time, which is a story about essentially a cop uh, and his family. And uh, his name was Carl. And Carl, I'll never forget this. We're sitting on the couch. My dad's sitting next to us. And um, Carl is all, all mad at Steve, his next door neighbor, who is kind of the nerd. And he's mad at Steve. And he's like, he got this pamphlet at the doctor's office. And it says, all he's got to do is just say, three, two, one, one, two, three. What in the world is bothering me? Remember that episode? <laughs> and so, uh, it didn't work the first time, so you, if it doesn't work the first time, you have to just kind of speak louder. Kind of like when you're talking to somebody who doesn't speak English, for some reason you think they're deaf too. So you're like, I said, what is your name? I can hear you. Anyway, so he would say it again. He would say, three, two, one, one, two, three. What in the world is bothering me? And my dad, ho, 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 ho. And for like two years, that's all I heard in my living room. Three, two, one, one, two, three. What in the world is bothering me? Like, why are you looking at me? Brenda did it, right? The most patient thing your dad's ever done, Jordan, is raise you. <clears throat> I'll never forget that. But are we self-controlled? Do we take a step back? Three, two, one, one, two, three. What's bothering me? It's funny. I saw my dad, just to speak really openly, I saw him um, criticized immensely in the church. I'm a, I'm, a, uh, I'm a pastor's kid. And I didn't like the church for a long time because I saw people who were really rough with my dad and criticized him. And I knew how much he loved the Lord and how much he wanted to see that church succeed. And throughout 28 plus years at Countryside Bible Church, he grew that church from 25 people to 225 in the middle of four cornfields. You might not think that's a lot of people, but his ministry wasn't just in those pews. It was also in that community. And so the interesting thing is, I think a lot of it was dad was self-controlled. And I would look at him and I would say, dad, how can you let somebody talk to you like that? And he would look at me all the time and he would say, Jordan, we have to take compassion on those people. We have to love them regardless. Okay. It's the same as patience. Self-control reveals who we trust. Do you trust God or do you trust yourself? Number seven, two more. 1 Timothy 3.2 continues at verse 10. He must live wisely and blamelessly. This doesn't mean the person has never done any wrong. 
Now, let me tell you something. I can list a lot of things that my dad has done wrong. You're probably sitting here and you're thinking, man, this guy is awesome. Oh, whoa, 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 hold on. Well, we got stories about my dad, okay? And none of them I'm going to bring up here because they would take a long time. But it's funny. When we go fishing sometimes, I sit next to my dad on a boat and I talk to him. And you know what he does when we're sitting there? He tries to go through over and over again the things that he's done wrong in his life. Man, I look at him all the time I'm like, Dad, you didn't do anything wrong. I said, Dad, I can't even think of anything that you did wrong. I said, well, I got a couple things. Yeah, that time on the side, never mind, right? But his list of wrongs just have kind of gone away in time because of the things he does for the Lord. But it's, it's interesting, if you find a man or a woman of God, they will constantly reiterate over and over again the things that they wish they could have done different. And the amazing thing is, when it says that you should be blameless, it means that the individual lives in such a way that when those accusations come, or those thoughts enter into their mind, people don't assume that they're true. You know, all these things are going on with church leaders, like with allegations and stuff like that. And uh, I talked to one of my mentors the other day, and I said, what would you do if an allegation came up against you? He said, Jordan, why do you talk like that? If an allegation came up against my dad, there would be hundreds and hundreds of people that would be like, there's no possible way he could have ever done that. It's just amazing to me how many people will come and vouch for your character when you find that you're in times of trouble. Are you blameless? Do people vouch for your character? If there's something that was done, would they say, yeah, that sounds about right? Or would they say, I can't imagine that person doing that. My dad does not swear. We've tried to get him to swear like a thousand times. <laughs> I'll never forget, we were in the van one day, and, and we're like, oh, here it comes. And he's like, fiddlesticks. And you're like. That's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. He won't do it. Do people vouch for your character because you love Jesus? And dad would always say that. He's like, there's no way. I, I, I cannot harm the name of my Savior. First Peter chapter 2, verse 12 says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Hmm. To be blameless is a reflection of the transforming work of God in your life. The people who vouch for your character, if it is lived out biblically, do so because they see the transforming ways that God is moving in your heart. Last one. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 continues at verse 7. It says, a church leader also, and these are the same characteristics, because I think we read this passage of Scripture and we think to ourselves, they're talking about church leader. No, they're talking about believers. They're talking about us as individuals, that you should have a good reputation, a good report. And the last trait is, are we worthy of other people's respect? Do they respect you? This whole passage points to people who can be respected. Children are supposed to obey and honor their parents. And some of you guys obeyed and honor your parents just in fear that you wouldn't get beat. Some of you guys lived lives where you, were just, you just did what mom and dad told you to do because you did not want the wrath of dad coming down on you. And I understand that so well. I'll never forget. I was in Erie, Pennsylvania one time. And my dad's sitting at a table. My biological father, that is. And I wanted his attention so bad. I looked at him and I said, would you just shut up? 
And he slammed his fist on the table. He got up. It was the middle of a snowstorm in Erie, Pennsylvania. It was not the right way for me to approach him. I just wanted his attention. I just wanted his compassion. And he got up off that table. He picked me up as high as he could. He walked me out. He opened up the front door and he threw me in the snow. He slammed the door and he locked it. And I looked through that glass mirror in that front door and I saw his face and it was not one of anything that I would want anybody to see. And he wouldn't let me in. I'm banging on the door. Let me in. Let me in. Let me in. He's like, you done? Opens up the door. I run down the hallway. I sit in the bed. He comes and sits next to me. He says, you're never going to do that again, are you? Sometimes we live in fear of our parents. And that is not the reason in which you respect them. Respect comes when you have the opportunity to see very specifically that your mom and dad are seeking your best. And if your mom and dad, earthly parents, didn't seek your best, understand that your heavenly father always does. So wherever your mom and dad fell short, understand that your heavenly father always fulfills that. There was a, a kid, his name was Matt Gibbs. He loved my dad. My dad was substitute teacher. He's done more weddings and funerals for kids uh, that he subbed within the schools. You want to know why? Because what happens is they get married, they find somebody to love, and then they realize they need a pastor. And they don't go to church anywhere, so they know Mr. Muck, and they call him up. And they're like, hey, Mr. Muck, you want to do my wedding? And he's like, well, let's sit down and talk. Shares the gospel with him, tells him about Jesus, starts to talk to him. A lot of times they get saved sitting right there. And uh, there's this kid, his name was Matt Gibbs, and he loved my dad. He would come week after week after week to our house. He would sit down and talk to my dad, and he would tell him the craziest stuff. I'll never forget all the people who would come into our home. It was crazy. I learned um, 90s hip-hop lyrics from a guy named Brad Killip. He would teach me. When my dad left, he would be like, hey, Jordan, you want to know some more lyrics? I'm like, yeah, man, let's do this, right? And so he taught me every bad word I know. And um, dad never knows. Sorry, dad, if you're watching. Um, now you know. That's what happens. But Matt Gibbs would come over to our house. He would tell dad everything. He would talk to him. He respected him. He would sit down with him. He would say, Dad, this is what's going on. He would eat all my mom's baking. My mom is notorious. She bakes all this stuff. She puts my dad on a diet, doesn't let him eat any of it. <clears throat> so Matt would uh, give his, my dad his take on the world. You know what my dad did? He would point him all the time back to the gospel. He would say, listen, Matt, you know, Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for your sins. If you confess that you're a sinner and believe Jesus Christ is your Savior, your life would have purpose. Matt looked at him all the time, and he's like, mm, I'll think about that. Came, I'll never forget this. He came uh, to the house one day. My mom was telling me about this. I wasn't there. Um, <clears throat> but I've heard the story a million times. He came up to my dad, and he's like, he's like, uh, he's like Mr. Muck, I made 200 bucks last weekend. He's like, you made $200 in a weekend? How'd you do that? He said, I was pole dancing for a couple of my friends. My dad says, well, maybe I should give that a try. <laughs> He says, Mr. Muck, don't quit your day job. He looked at Matt. He says, Matt, uh, how'd that work out? Sounds like you had to sell a piece of yourself in order to get served. Matt looked at him. He never thought about it. Pointed him back to Jesus over and over again, over and over again, week after week, pointed him back to Jesus. What about Jesus? What about Jesus? What about Jesus? One day, dad's driving in the car. Mom told me this story. He was driving in the car, and his phone rings. He picks up the phone. It's Matt. These kids call my dad all the time. Uh, mom told me the other day that a seventh grader called my dad for, for advice. I'm like, Dad, you can't give your phone out to seventh graders. It doesn't, it's not good. And he's like, what am I going to do, give him my Facebook page? Uh, 
calls him up. He says, he says, hey, Mr. Muck, I want to tell you something. He says, all right, let me know. He says, I was driving in my truck the other day, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And my dad's like, Matt, that's awesome. You accepted Jesus as your Savior. He says, yeah. He says, man, I'm filled with so much purpose. He's like, God is working in my life. I just know that all those things that I used to do in the past, man, they're, just, they're forgiven. I get it, Mr. Monk. I get it. I, I, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. It makes sense. Two months later, Matt died in a motorcycle accident. Dad stands up at his funeral, right? I mean, this kid's laying in the casket. That's not the way it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to end like that. It's not supposed to be like that. He says, hey, let me tell you something. Let me tell you about the phone call I had with Matt two months ago and the decision that he made to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. I think that Matt Gibbs is in heaven because he respected my dad, because he took the time to sit and listen to him. Not to lecture him, to listen. We have to listen to people. You will get respect the more you listen instead of lecture. And there will come a time when you get the opportunity to preach to somebody and you get to show them the reason in which you believe Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. But a lot of that respect comes from listening. People respect my dad because he does what he says he does. He preaches more with actions and in words. Do you? When other people respect you, your words and actions will be in line with God's will and his word. Eight traits, man. How you doing? I struggled a little bit this week. I looked at some of these, some of which I'm, I'm doing okay. Some of which not doing okay. So what do I do with this? Here's what I would say you do. Take all of these eight qualities. If you need to, cut them out. Paste them on your bathroom mirror where you can see them. Put them in your cubicle at work, in your line, wherever you find yourself. And as you look at them, plead with the Lord in those things and ask him for help. Never underestimate the power of prayer. If you struggle with one, two, three, all eight of these things, the first thing that you can do is you can pray. And the biggest thing that you can pray is if you don't know God through the saving power of Jesus Christ, that's the first thing you pray is that Jesus I cannot do this life on my own. I need you to come and be my Savior. And he will. And we ask God for help, and we pray diligently to implement accordingly. Slow, steady, consistent growth. My dad used to look at me all the time. He said, Jordan, no mountains, no valleys, just slow, steady, consistent growth. We chisel away at these little by little so that people can see how much you love Jesus and so that you may be validated in the fact that you know Jesus loves you. Let me pray for you. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the reminder of Father's Day and what that means as we point back to the fact that you are our Heavenly Father and you're good. And I know some of us are sitting here today and, and we don't have good families Growing up wasn't good. And some of us are sitting here, and we're not fathers. We're not parents. And we're scratching our head on why you haven't provided in that way. And some of that reason is because we don't trust your plans. And some of that reason is because we don't see things through your perspective. And we need to. But we can't do it without your help. And if you're seated here this morning or you're listening online or however you got here, and you don't have a relationship 
with God through Jesus Christ. That's got to be step one. I don't care where you've been. I don't care where you've come from. I don't care all the past baggage that you carried in through the door. Jesus says, I take you as you are. I'll mold you into what you need to be. You just have to walk with me. But that doesn't start until you confess that you're a sinner and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And if you find yourself here and you're like, I need a Savior, you simply just pray to God, probably for the first time ever. You say, God, I know I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. I ask Jesus through the power of your blood that was shed on the cross that you save me, that the old would be removed and the new would come, and that I would live eternally with you. And I know so many of you have made that decision to follow Jesus. Praise the Lord. I know you've made that step of faith. You've received God's grace. Not because you worked for it, but because you received it in faith. But God, we're struggling right now a little bit with some of these things. Some of us are struggling with loving people. Some of us are struggling with modeling what it looks like. Some of us are struggling with being patient. Some of us are struggling with being hard workers because we're so busy, we don't even know what hard work looks like. Some of us are struggling with being self-controlled. Some of us are struggling with being blameless. And some of us are struggling just because we don't have respect from anybody because of our past choices that we've made. And so we pray, first of all, that you would forgive us of our sin, even though we know you as a good father, even we know you as a heavenly father. And we'd also ask that you would help us to chisel away at some of this and that you would come and you would point us directly on the things we need to do to conform more to the image of your son. Help us know that it's possible. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, speak to us, convict us, teach us. Give us the opportunity to know that it's possible, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and there is the fact that you are working for the good of those who love you. But we must submit ourselves to you first. And so we do that today, individually and corporately. And we ask all this would be done so that people who are far from you would come to know you as Savior. And so the people who stand next to us, beside us, and even ourselves internally would be encouraged. God, we love you. We thank you so much for today. We ask a blessing upon it. And the ways in which I fell short, God, in this message, I pray that you fill in those gaps. And lead us out to live out your truth. It is in your name we pray. Amen. The worship team is going to come up. <clears throat> Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.